Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I am Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen, joined as always with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello, hello. And our special guest for this week, Niall. Hey! Yeah, baby! <laughs> I'm back! So today, we're talking about minutes 23 and 24 of About Time, uh, wherein it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> this, is the, this is like the ultimate challenge for the Movie by Minute podcaster. It's like, well, you had two minutes, and there ain't nothing on screen. It's just black. Black, black screen. I, I hope to one day do a movie that actually has a harder one. I want to do Never Look Away, which I believe has a 20-minute <laughs> sequence of him painting. Mm. With no dialogue. <laughs> I think we talked one time, because uh, this season on Batman that we did for April Fool's Day, we switched to B-Minutes, and we just did a, a minute about B-Movie. <laughs> uh, and another movie on the chopping block, as an option, was Jerry. Oh. Uh, Gus Van Sant's, <laughs> the, the Casey Affleck, Matt Damon thing. You try to guess, uh, how far does he walk in the desert this minute? Um <laughs> There was a serious. We could could we just talk about these two these two random assholes talking walking <laughs> in a desert for like just just see how long we, the episodes can go. So maybe next year, may, tune in next April Fool's Day to see if Batman <laughs> eventually covered. Although the B movie thing backfired on me because I pitched that to John. We did that episode, and now he's talking about like oh yeah after Batman and Robin, I think we should just cover B movie. <laughs> I, I think that was that was pretty good. <laughs> Hoisted my own petard here now. <laughs> Yeah, so. It's 8.53pm, by the way, at the start of this minute. Wow. The second the second time we get on the screen. Sorry, that's nine minutes away from my time now. <laughs> what time did they enter the restaurant? Uh, How long it was 7.48 when they sat down. Oh, so been, been, this, been, this is, they're, they're it's been an hour. This yeah. Is like, yeah. And I think that's, that's great, because, yeah, you know that they've just had sort of proper conversation by this point well we got past the eating we didn't have to listen to chewing and everything yeah so at this point they are just talking you know and it's it's good and i'm glad we didn't have to do <laughs> chewing and i'm intrigued as to how then we try to guess what food they're eating based on the sound i think that the, the, there's a benefit in not having visuals throughout the well the, you know the, at this point it's not officially a date but it's it's pretty much a first date. It's uh, a blind date, through, you could say. It's an accidental blind date. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But like, because so many pitfalls of having food on an actual date. Like, a couple of years back, there was a friend of mine from university. She was out invited out on a date by a guy who was, I think he had won a thing from Bar Burrito, where he's like, oh, you get something like a hundred free burritos hmm. for like a, a year or something like that. And he decided to start a blog where it was like 52 burrito dates where <laughs> he invited a different girl out every week and they just went for burritos. And his thinking was, burrito is the ult- ultimate leveler. 
because you can't look elegant no, when you're no. eating it. It's impossible to not just get it everywhere and just look like a complete sort of pig while you're doing <laughs> it. And it's like, oh, so like everyone's on an e- equal footing and stuff. And uh, this is kind of like that same thing. It's just like, oh, yeah, you can – like they could be a slovenly and have freaking sauce all over their faces and do whatever they want here as long as it's not audible. Like, yeah, they're they're in a completely even footing. They don't have to worry about, like, getting food on their, you know, on their jackets or just looking like a complete pig while they're chowing down. I hope when they exit the restaurant, there's really good mirrors so they can make sure yeah. they didn't spill everywhere. <laughs> As it comes out, Mary's just still got the friggin' strawberry mousse. <laughs> so Jay says, so girls, be honest, who's more beautiful? Joanna says, oh, I am. Mary says, yep, yeah, she is. Jay, excellent. And then Mary says, actually, I look like Kate Moss. Really? No, I sort of look like a squirrel. Do you like Kate Moss? I absolutely love her. In fact, I almost wore one of her dresses here tonight. You? No, 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 her clothes look terrible on me. So that, that's, a, that's a good, spontaneous line and joke from Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that was good. He, sharp, sharp he response. Well. That's good, good and sharp. And... Once again, probably says my age that I, before this film, had no idea who Kate Moss was. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think even at this Google point, Google like, has enlightened 2000... me on a lot of elements uh, since. Yeah, but, yeah, even 2013. Like, I think that's post the the era of Kate Moss. Yeah, the like, importance of her in this movie surprised me at the time because I'm like, mm. people still like Kate Moss or care. Yeah, I know she Richard still exists, like, but Richard Curtis has described the artwork as like some of the greatest pieces of art of like all time and hmm. i don't get that yeah. i don't get that at all to me it's just a photo shoot they don't she's like it was mid mid 90s to yeah. like about 2004 i think it was like that was when kate moss was a big deal so then 10 years later to be still talking about her it's like eh, well, that's, that's a bit weird that's a bit retro but yeah so my birth was the death of kate moss popularity though yeah <laughs> maybe someone had to make the decision <laughs> me be born or kill kate moss's popularity <laughs> Well, that's the thing, though, because then you have, obviously, you know, Jay's a guy just showing all his cards here, because and Joanne's just like, oh, well, oh, I am, in response to, like, oh, which one of you is more attractive? And he's just like, yes! Like, he, like <laughs> he's so certain that he's in with her. He's a lad, <laughs> Jay, really. He's a he's a very lad type. He's quite odd compared to Tim, actually. They've got very different approaches. Well, that, that's the thing, though, because... Uh, I don't know if it's in this minute or the next minute, but when they're kind of joking about with it, but when Mary's so saying like, "Oh, he's very enthusiastic," and he's like, "Yeah, I hate him." <laughs> don't, don't they literally the thing, you... comment on like later on in the film about like, "I'm pretty sure he's about to assault me." Like, is this this yeah. line on that? Which is and even last minute too. Like, he clearly he clearly touched. Jo- uh, Joanna, yeah. somewhere where she didn't want to be touched and stuff. It's like nowadays you just wouldn't put that in the movie. That'd be like, oh, that's you're not the character's not going to be likable. But the thing is, I think everybody does know a, a Jay. Like there's this guy oh, yeah. who he's in your friend group and he's a bit obnoxious and he's he's very fixated on like toilet humor and sort of been a bit raunchy and saying outrageous things. And, yeah, you know, they're a bit. I think it's but yet everyone still tolerates to... them for some reason. Yeah, I think it's like, difficult you know. to portray him as tolerable. Yet still ensure that we know that the way he acts is wrong, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think Richard and that seems to be even right. worse then because, like, later on, the Kit Kat is just sort of steered in his direction. It's like, yeah, that's keep, true, keep her away actually. from this guy. I have thought going about on? that. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, she was in an abusive relationship, so let's bring it with the guy who near enough assaulted a woman in a cafe. And Tim knew this. 
There's a lot, a lot I, of Tim doesn't Tim notice. He's, he's busy. But this didn't happen. True. Oh, that's true. Well, <laughs> Tim would still remember it, though. Tim would remember it, but it didn't help. <laughs> so, There'd be so many instances of, like, I remember how awful person Jay used to be before I erased that oh, from history. Oh, I'd love to have, I'd love there to be a gag in this film where, like, he's having a chat with his friends and laughing about a moment that they had together and it doesn't happen. And it didn't happen. Yeah, right? he's just like, oh, do you remember when you, no? <laughs> so, <laughs> do you remember when you assaulted that girl in the be... dark? Uh, no? Oh. I do actually have genuine beef with, again, too, because you're, like, you're looking at this as, like, try to keep this story simple because it's a fairy tale and whatnot. But yeah, I'm talking about like Jay eventually gets Jay and Kit Kat get sort of manipulated together. Not yeah. manip- you know, not it's not that intricate. She wouldn't bet with Rory. But, but the thing is, it's like Tim's relationship with her. I just that's a part that really takes me out because he does seem, even though they do address like, oh, he did try to fix things for her. Yeah, he does. He still comes across as a very neglectful family member to me because at some points in the film, he's saying like. Yeah, she just never adapted to London, really. And he, he knows that she's not happy there, but he's never made any effort to go. And It seems as if he's not made an effort to go see her. And then when he goes up to visit the parents, she's been there for weeks, and he didn't know. Yeah. And it's like, she's like, so you've not even been talking to her. And that, it kind of comes across later on. It's like, maybe if you had been there for your sister a bit more. Yeah, and he says she wouldn't have been that she's like still the most important thing in his life. So it, yeah. it, it is odd. It's just because yeah. he tries to do a quick fix, and it's like, well, maybe you should have been going further back in time to make sure that you were there for her a little more, and you could have things. You know, I know she's an adult woman and stuff, but like, you know, you don't have to take her by the hand. But it just seems as if he's very sort of like, oh, just sort of ignoring all her problems until that car crash. And then I tried to do a quick fix, and it didn't work out for me. So <laughs> that's it's now I'm going to hook her up with my potential sex pest best worst friend Jay here. Mm. And hey, everything worked out for the best for everybody, right? Then we go to 917, mm-hmm. where Jay says, I cannot believe it's your birthday next week as well. And Mary says, your friend Jay is quite enthusiastic. I actually hate him. What's Joanna like? Uh, she's basically a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think that that's the uh, Jay saying, I can't believe it's your birthday next week as well. Do we take that to be a genuine statement? Like, that's that again, from him as a character, I can imagine... Her saying, oh, it's my birthday next week. And him being like, oh, what a coincidence. Yeah, he's just lying. It's also my birthday. I took it as genuine, but I also took it as him trying really hard to connect with her. Like, yeah, like yeah. normally it'd be, oh, yeah. But he, he he's like trying to connect onto that and think, you know, maybe we can have an entire relationship based around the fact that our birthdays are on the same week. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, though, the topic of uh, like, oh, whether Mary or, or Joanna is like, oh, which one's the more attractive and whatnot. The people who listen to Batman it will know that I've had a, a hell of a time trying to understand throughout the seasons the perception of certain people being sexy. Mm. Like in for season one, I was always of the mind, like, again, Luke, because you're a completely different generation as well, about like, I always thought, I grew up in a world where I thought Jack Nicholson was regarded as a sexy guy. Mm-hmm. And then I had, we had, we had a guest on who was about, at that point she was about 24, and she was like, what are you talking about? He's hideous. And I was like, no, I'm talking about young Jack Nicholson. She's like, yeah, at any point, he's always been a hideous man. And then find out the rest of the season, like, yeah, that's most people don't, don't find Jack Nicholson uh, attractive and whatnot. And then th- this year, I've been finding out friggin' Chris O'Donnell apparently was a big thing in the 90s. I yeah. find him very, very bland, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's become, it's come to my attention quite recently that Donald Gleason is currently regarded as like, like a bit of, a bit of all right by people. Like he's thought of as been quite attractive and stuff. And that, baffles me 
because, like, I know I'm almost a, you know, cis het man here, so I'm just like, well, you know, who am I to talk? But I can, I can comment, I can spot an attractive man when I see one. Yeah, I can say But he does yeah, not strike me at there's all. Not, there's not a, there's, what's, what's the weird way of making sure this doesn't come across as odd as a group of three men talking about what women find attractive? <laughs> um, yeah, it, the moment you think there's continuity, there isn't. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, like, even speaking of that, though, like the reason I sort of caught on to this was I was listening to Newcomers, which is a podcast featuring uh, Nicole Byers and Lauren Lapkus, and they were talking about The Force Awakens, and they were going on about, like, oh, yeah, that guy, that uh, General Hux, oh, man, oh, yeah, I'm ready for his job, so sexy. And stuff. But they were saying, like, oh, but normally he is, but then they're saying, when he was General Hux, though, no, not so much. Like, I don't like the way he brushed his hair and stuff. I thought he was a bit weird looking <laughs> and whatnot. But the way they're talking about him the rest of the time, it's like, yeah, normally he's so cute and stuff. And I was like, Donald Gleason? And then weird, I put up about that in Facebook. And then someone else responded, oh, that speech he makes in The Force Awakens when he's like just full on Nazi, like just making a big friggin' Hitler speech. She's like, oh, yeah, I found him very sexy there. They had a real power play about him. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, what the, this guy. And you in particular find him more attractive when he's a Nazi. What the hell's going on? This is crazy to me. But, I should also mention, though, uh, in terms of the glass episode, talking about, like, oh, a friend of mine who saw uh, Bill Nye on the tube, uh, Donald Gleason's dad, Brendan Gleason, both uh, my dad's brothers have uh, had conversations with him <laughs> in the past, apparently. So you, you know, my, one of my uncles used to work in a bank in Dublin nice. and uh, handled a transaction with Brendan Gleason, and then one of them just met him in a pub, like, in the early 2000s. Huh. Um, and he was like, yeah, apparently lovely, lovely, lovely fella, but that's the thing now. My dad has a fixation on the career of Donald Gleason because his brothers have met Brendan Gleason. So he's just like, this kid better be huge because I know people who met his dad. So therefore, I'm invested in this man's career. I'm now. just no one interesting ever comes to Shropshire. I swear. <laughs> so <laughs> such an empty place. One episode of Doctor <laughs> Who was filmed like around here in the eighties. Although, actually, it's talking about like all the the transmogrifications of uh, Donald Gleason. I was actually surprised I didn't realize until like just making notes for this that uh, Joanna of course is Vanessa Kirby. Yeah. Because uh, she's like you know getting she's making her way in the world now like oh Mission Impossible and all this business. And at the time I was like I just didn't recognize her. Like after watching the film I was like oh that's that, that actress who's becoming quite big at the, at well, the moment. Margot Robbie was not pretty well not that well known when this came out. I mean, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street was literally right around the corner, but, like, this was yeah. the first... Even though she was famous around the point I first saw this film, this was the first thing I saw Margot Robbie in. Mm. I think it's, it's just weird, though, because, uh, like, knowing Vanessa Kirby, seeing her in loads of stuff, and then been shown a picture of her in this, and I was just at no point was I like, oh, I know that person. <laughs> it mm. just didn't register until I saw it in print. And you'd actually know uh, Robert as well. Like, it's, it's akin to... From, of course, Mandy. Yeah. Andrea Riseborough. Every time I see her, I don't know it's the same person. Like, she's just got something going on where it's like, I was watching Happy Go Lucky the other week. Didn't realize that was her playing, like, the sister. And it's then still, I saw Mandy. Like, when I looked that up, it's like, that's the same person from the friggin' Emma Stone, Steve Carell tennis movie. Like, that's, like, it doesn't look, she so changes her entire being every time you see her. I'm looking at pictures amazed. of Vanessa Kirby now. I would have no idea. It's, I've probably seen her in things and not known it was her. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. It's just like, well, a little little bit of... I suppose nowadays she's just all Hollywooded up. She's just like, oh, it's all the razzle-dazzle now has been applied to her. So. Do you think it's a blessing or a curse for actors to get so unrecognisable in the role? 
It's, like, uh, it's a credit to their acting, but also probably not too good to building their name. Yeah, you want something in between. Where yeah. people forget you're there, but they remember later. Oh, that was... Mm. Or at least it's enough for them to watch the film and be like, oh yeah, it's yeah. Uh, from so-and-so. I need to rewatch Me Before You and find out who... who... I don't remember the, her character in Me Before You, but I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, I liked it when I saw it in the cinema, so... Mm. That's the thing that I do have to ask, like, in terms of, like, you know, this sort of novelty, not a novelty restaurant they're in, it's, you know, it obviously is a sort of upper crust venue and whatnot. Has have either of you guys ever been in any of these kind of, like, experiences of, like, you know, sensory deprivation kind of things? I don't or, think so, or, no. no. I want to, but I'd imagine that these, like Cat Cafe, as I said last episode, I think, I imagine these are sort of places which you have to pay before you even enter, which mm. always sounds, turns me off. Sounds lucky enough to, when living in Liverpool, we have the Fact Centre, which is, you know, sort of like a, a modern art exhibit house kind of thing. It's a, it's a cinema, but it also has like little exhibits around it and stuff. And usually some quite odd things will go in there. And uh, they had a thing a couple of years back called Zoo, which uh, I went to, and unfortunately I was hungover when I went in, but I would not <laughs> advise it because it was... A lot of people already were saying like it's it's freaky when you go in there because basically all it was was like a it was just a dark room. But there was like a th- when you were going in, they were like, if you got any heart conditions or anything like that, don't go in here. Like just don't. If you have any underlying health issues, don't attempt this. And the experience was basically you walked in and you were just you had to hold on to a rope that was at the side of the room, and there was a whole bunch of you, and they just led you through this long dark room. But eventually, as you're going, they started putting in like different smells hmm. and then like little so smoke would come up past your face and stuff and then random lights would start shining and basically it was designed to stimulate your brain in such a way that you'd begin to hallucinate oh and of course going in there hungover i was just like oh, i hate this this is absolutely horrible but like it was just such a uh, people who were perfectly okay were just like coming out just like i was seeing just figures appearing in front of me and stuff i was seeing weird like like, it seems as if like the, the the door that was in front of us that was going out was melting as I was walking towards it and things like that. They were able to do that kind of thing with you. But like I, I always started to wonder like if you're sitting in this dark dining experience after a while, like what what happened to your eyes and stuff? Like it just seems like would would you become more tuned to the complete darkness around you? Would you be able to? I th- I thought I saw Mary. I had an image of what she looked like because I thought I could see her through the dark, but it turned out to be a completely different kind of person when we got out <laughs> and stuff. And, yeah, they're in there for almost three hours, so. I yeah, yeah. get sort of used to it. She come out and say she said she looked like a squirrel. I was expecting a giant squirrel to come out. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I had in my mind's eye for three damn hours. So to go just straight back into the rest of the dialogue, nine fifty six. I think it's strawberry mousse. Oh, do you want some? Um, okay, I'll try it. Okay, where's your mouth? <laughs> it's it's here. Okay, there. Oh, what was that? That was my eye. I think there's. A lot of, I've got quite a lot of strawberry mousse in my eye, <laughs> and you've noted that this is one of the light movements we can actually understand. Sorry, I just I just stole your comment, didn't I? By reading your notes, <laughs> it's okay. It's my notes, and I, I already mentioned too, it. Like, I think in in lesser rom coms, like a something like a you know like an Adam Sandler sort of thing or something like that, they would have worked in a, like a joke of like, oh, at the beginning of this meal, you're not told what you're going to be eat, but make sure you put down any 
allergies you have. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then there would be a bit where, like, he accidentally stabs her with the strawberry mousse, and it turns out she's allergic to strawberries. And then it would <laughs> cut to, like, Herman rushing to the hospital and him having to come up afterwards. And that's the mute cute that he sent her to the hospital by accident. <laughs> they have to make it a, a, much, a much flashier affair than just, yeah. like, no, they're just sitting talking in the dark. Well, that's the difference between British and American comedy, really. <laughs> Dare I suggest. I mean, I still like American comedy, but it's definitely to that extent. You could imagine that that whole idea seems like the setup for like a sort of Farrelly Brothers type of thing, maybe. Yeah. Which I, I oh, love Farrelly Brothers, but it's de- definitely a difference between US and UK comedy for the most part. Yeah. Um, if it had been Farrelly Brothers, that would have went much, much worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it would have went into a lot more lewd <laughs> territory. <laughs> yeah, the, the allergic reaction could end up the same route as a certain bathroom in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I we go straight into minute twenty four, can't we? There's yeah. not much to say on the visuals, really. She finishes with now in response to strawberry mousse in my eye. Uh, Tim, I'm so sorry. You know what oh, I love? Thank you. Before you get on, is that Joanna and Jay are still just talking in the background? Mm. They didn't notice that she just said he stabbed her in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there must be so just dis- or Jay's so distracted in talking to Joanna while she's yeah. so distracted in trying to stop him <laughs> so then, yeah i'm so sorry no thank you that's a new sensation for me <laughs> so maybe i'll see you outside or yeah yeah great great scary yeah it's a bit scary and then that's the end of the bits in the in the black is there anything else to say in the black well, I, I was i will say though like we're getting the nice side of the conversation where it's like oh these two are really hitting it off and stuff I do feel bad considering they're in there for three hours. Joanna's going through like a living nightmare. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like she's having the worst night of her life. Like I've been stuck with this prick the entire time. I'm surprised she's not been like, yeah, we're going to go. Like after half an hour in, she's like, you know what? This isn't for me. Let's just respect get out of here. To, well, what's the way of phrase? I, I don't want to say respect to Joanna because that's saying that the respectful thing to do is to ignore the, the stuff that's sort of happening, depending on what. We don't know how far Jay is getting at this point, whether he's just an annoyance or whether he's trying. Maybe she just moved out of his reach and he just couldn't touch her anymore. Yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe they did have a good conversation and I'd be intrigued to know what happens between Joanna and Jay, because they might meet again at some point that we don't know about, right? Eventually. I mean, there's, she's still Mary's friend. He's still Tim's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that definitely would have been. So I ma- guess because this, this would have been erased, so I guess maybe they would have met at the wedding? Eventually, or prepping for the wedding, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's so weird that basically everything that happens in this minute becomes unnecessary later on. (laughs) Can we just start partway through the show, just deleting past episodes? (laughs) How about we just don't cover the minutes that get erased? We'll just cut those out of the movie. Saves me editing. Here's the real timeline. (laughs) Movie's much shorter. I'd love to do an edit of the film, actually, as to just what... Can we do that? I did that for Groundhog Day. I did uh, did Rita's experience, and it was just cut from day one to (laughs) the last one. (laughs) Done. (laughs) It was about half an hour long. But I'll definitely do that towards the end of the show, I think. Just edit a cut of the film to be just what actually (laughs) happened. And chronological as well, that we could start with him as a kid. With him as a kid. It would take a lot of writing and planning and stuff, but... Hey ho, we don't know how long quarantine's gonna last. So. <laughs> I still think actually it's so strange though that like I guess you could put it down to like it's just you know it's this the British way where it's like it's just understood like this is a secret between the men of this family. 
and like Bill Nye, I guess he he dies in the movie without his wife ever knowing. Like, oh yeah, he can travel back in time, as can your son. Yeah, and I find there, that there's, there's, there's that's no point so to film. sad. Yeah, and I, I like the yeah. fact that it's and thus the funeral isn't so much of an issue for Tim. Like he's yeah. he, you you can almost see that he's not as upset as everyone else at that point. <laughs> But it's just, you think other films would have been like, it would have been like, you know, friggin' a major plot point to have. Maybe, like, at the, at the end, it would have been, he has to tell Mary that, like, oh, yeah, I can do this the whole time. But then you just get into another barrel of worms where it's like, she's like, so you, I guess you've been able to manipulate our entire relationship. I can never trust you again because what do I know that, like, it'd be a bit like, I don't know if you guys ever watched Legion, but there's a whole, the, well, the main thrust of the, the story towards the end is the, the the central love interest. He's he erases one of her memories, mm. so they don't re- they don't she doesn't remember a thing. And it's just like, well, you've essentially you like I can I can never trust you again now because you've got p- the powers to manipulate my entire consciousness. I think we need to do a tangent episode at some point about films where Rachel McAdams plays someone <laughs> who knows someone who can travel in time. Like I haven't seen <laughs> the other two, but I think we we could definitely do like a bonus episode at some point on that. Oh, for sure, definitely. And, as I say, with all the Richard Curtis stuff as well, because I will happily watch... Going through these DVDs of all the Richard Curtis films, there are commentaries on some films that I don't remember ever listening to, so at least that... Here's, here's, here's the thing, though, like, because now's as relevant a time to ask as any. Richard Curtis does have a, a thing going throughout a lot of his work with the, the single American... Yes! In yeah. British... I was thinking that as well! Because in this year we have Mary here. They don't really bring up that she's American. It's just sort of like, yeah, it's just understood. Andy McDowell, of course, in Four Weddings. Yeah. Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. Nothing Hill. Even Jeff Goldblum in The Tall Guy. Yes. And from, and Joanna in Love Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is it, though? Is it just... I, I look briefly into, like, is his wife American or something? And I they're don't, like, no. No. Not some... What about the girlfriend that uh, Bernard stole from him? Was she American? Like uh, the cynic in me would be like, it's a, it's a marketing thing, or it's like a. Well, if I have one American actor in my British movie, that'll be easier to sell to the Americans because they'll be like, oh, here's Rachel McAdams. Like, she's a big star in America, but she's in this British movie. But you'll you like her because you know her over there, so it'll play to both audiences and stuff. That doesn't even really. Well, I guess you could argue that with Notting Hill because Julia Roberts was a huge star at the time. But the point with Notting Hill is they didn't even originally want Hugh Grant. They wanted it to be. A huge star and a nobody. The only reason they went mm. for Hugh Grant was no one else could play that role. Like they, they, <laughs> they literally wanted someone who was not known for anything at all to get that, you know, the parallel between the story and the real life, which I really like the idea of. But then Richard Curtis didn't even want Hugh Grant for Four Weddings. I don't know if you guys knew that. But he, he, he voted against Hugh Grant and everyone else said he was good. He thought Hugh Grant was awful. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Hugh Grant, he, he's had a, he's had a rough, He's had a roller coaster journey in the public eye as well. But like, I don't know. It was a couple of years his... I, I didn't like Hugh Grant, and then I saw Paddington too, and I was like, "Wait, I, I think I love Hugh Grant now." <laughs> I mean, he was amazing in this. I, I, I uh, haven't seen much outside of rom coms with Hugh Grant. In all, in all fairness, other than Paddington Two, which is still a, a com. Mm. Oh, Paddington Two is so good. It's on BBC <laughs> iPlayer again, so I guess I'll watch that at some point. Mm. Oh. Yeah. But it is it was it's one of the such few a revelation to see him. It's just been like I, I never liked this guy. Like for Paddington so long. One was great, and somehow Paddington Two was better. Like, yeah. <laughs> whoa, what a surprise! That reminds me, one of the biggest celebrities I met because I don't meet many celebrities. I was in London, and I saw Hugh Bonville. 
<laughs> Literally, like, he I'm wa- so hoping you're going to say Paddington Bear. It's like, yo, you met the actual bear. <laughs> There's uh, a statue was, of him at the station. I was in London, and like my, I think my dad, who clearly didn't know Hugh Bonville that well, just got up and my dad went, is that Hugh Bonningdale? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who? And he was like, the guy from Notting Hill. I was like, do you mean Hugh Bonville? He was like, yeah, that one. So we sort of almost stalkery sort of followed him round a corner until we caught up with him. It was like, are you Hugh? Yes. And then he walked off. That was it. <laughs> I didn't get to ask for a picture or anything. And then I was so excited that I'd even just made brief contact with him. I was like, I've got to phone up like my nan because she likes Downton Abbey. So I phoned up my nan. And while I did that, Sally Phillips walked past us. Oh, no. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't even notice Sally Phillips. My dad was like, someone else. And I was like, who? And then he didn't come to the name of her until about 10 minutes later. He was like, oh, the woman who's in all the comedy stuff. <laughs> like, hmm. what? But I, I then posted on Twitter afterwards. I think I tweeted like Sally Phillips or Hugh Bonville saying, did I see you both in London? And Hugh Bonville replied, ah, oh, yes, I always walk across London on the Tuesday to meet Sally Phillips. Which <laughs> <laughs> I think was great. And I find it funny that I saw Hugh Bonville in person but he said more words to me via Twitter. <laughs> I'm just like, this revelation to me, Hugh Bonville's on Twitter. And he didn't strike me as the type. Now, to get back on topic, uh, just for yeah. the record... The what do you mean gr- we've always been on topic? Right? The girlfriend that Bernard stole is Baroness Jenkin of Kennington, so she's British. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's, it's just... That would be my thing, then, if I ever was to encounter Richard Curtis. I'd just be like, if I had one question... My question would have to be, what's with the one American in your British movies? It seems to be a thing that you insist upon. Yeah, who is his American friend that he just loves including? It's, it seems like a thing, like, someone's must have asked him before. Like, there must be some interview. Let's Google some, it. Like, Mark Commode or someone's like, wait, what What the hell? Like, what's going on here? But, like, it that just seems does like seem one of those like things. the sort of thing that Mark Commode would comment on, actually, yeah. This is very, very odd. Who's but... the current American equivalent to Mark Commode? I don't know how to answer that. I don't know who that is. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's like, like a, our biggest like film a, critic. Yeah, like very, oh. very well regarded. Probably like, like what Roger Ebert was a while back. Yeah, I don't know if we have one. Maybe Leonard Malton still would be the closest, but we don't. Generally, uh, film critics are in like magazines or they're local, so we don't have That's a weird, nationally yeah, famous like, one anymore. Yeah, it's like Leonard Malton must be like. He's, he's getting up there. He must have been like his 70s or something by now, yeah, too. Yeah, he's so. got a podcast with his daughter that's pretty good about movies. Yeah. Gotta get into America and be like, you guys, you need a celebrity film critic. Like, otherwise, it's, they're just gonna die out. But yeah, so like, are, are, we almost, are we almost ready to come out of the darkness of the restaurant here? Or are we... I think we have. I think Maybe. we're, yeah, I think yeah. we're good. I think we're and straight we're up. I'll go straight to the dialogue. Is there anything particularly to say about the setting of Outside the Restaurant? It's basically what the restaurant uh, looked like when they went they, in. The right? only question that I have it's is just like, were they, were they the only people in there? Because it seems like there would be... I guess, I guess what's happened is that the, the two women have said, like, we need to go freshen up or whatever, and that's why these two guys are hanging about outside. But yeah. like, you assume there'd be other people around who would have exited. Although, like, at the same time, I suppose they just left together, so... It could be other people who are still inside. It's not as if it's like a mass leaving. It's not an exodus from the restaurant after everybody was there. So it's quite a quite a jump cut. To go yeah, straight, straight to, to them standing there, standing there. But the the the, the quick cuts in this, it, like throughout the entire film, work so well. Jay says, "I'm so in there. What about you, Tim? I don't know, but she sounded wonderful. Oh, shh, Joanna, Jay, oh, you're a babe. How do you fancy stretching the night out a bit?" I can ditch the loser. 
<laughs> I, I love this whole exchange and how Jay just can't read her at all. I think that's that's what makes it so funny. It's is the is the camera handheld again at this point? I th- oh no, it's pretty stationary, isn't it? Yeah, Until it's pretty it just smooth. turns straight onto her. And I and I love that. I think the slight handheld feel, even when it's reasonably stationary, it does just feel like almost you're like the same effect as found footage almost. Mm. But like someone is just there filming the events that are happening. You know, less thinking, what angle can I get? More thinking, how can I capture as much of the action in the shot? And it works for the charm of sort of the holiness of the film. Yeah. I do have to say, though, it's just me, like, when Joanna's reaction to him, it seems almost as if, like, she was, she wasn't almost, like, expecting him there or something. She kind of comes out with a real, like, oh, yes, it's me. Like, this. Maybe that's why she delayed exit, as she hoped they'd walk away. Yeah, they've been waiting for like 25 minutes or something. No, it's been less than a minute, actually. It was 1037 the last time, Coden, on Tim's watch. It's 1038. So they basically just walked right out. Hold yeah, maybe now she's just going into full-on escape mode. You've gone like... as far as to check Tim's watch. <laughs> they do an insert shot of it. <laughs> do they? Yeah. Hold up. When he looks down at the phone number. Oh, yeah. Mary put her name in with no last name. So I guess, yeah, maybe she was just like, okay, I'll, you know, now I'm outside. It's like, right? Okay, yes, it's me. So I th- how am I going to get I think this? maybe <laughs> she ends up with guys like Jay quite often. And she's just kind of used to the whole thing. That it's well, not... she's basically a prostitute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do like the you know her handling of the situation here though because it's just like I guess she's going to try to she's kind of getting as much as she can out of the guy but it's like okay you're going to take me to a cab and then we'll see what's going to happen and then you know indicating behind his back like there's nothing's ever going to happen with this guy but I guess maybe she's like well maybe I get a free taxi out of him or at least a free escort during the you know the dangerous London streets of so, like this having a guy next to me will be handy up until. I just want to get rid of him altogether. Yeah, then she sort of realises that he's the kind of person that she wants safety from. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she says, look, we've got to rush, but um, help me find a cab and I might give you my number. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Or I might not. Haven't decided yet. So, no, I have. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, she says just, over his shoulder to Tim. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I find it so funny that he just doesn't notice any of this. Like, it's so <laughs> obvious, especially what comes up in a minute. I'm I appreciate the fact, too, that she's... Joanna's got such a good read on Tim as well, knowing I can say this to him. Yeah. And he'll understand. that. like, of course I'm not... Yeah, obviously you wouldn't want to hook up with this guy. She trusts him enough to be like, I can say this to you, and you're not going to say to him that, of course, I'm not going to go give this guy my number. Because if she's like, yeah, I understand your role in this guy in this relationship here, where you're just hanging around with this obnoxious person that's just, he's just one of your friends who you just have to hang about with because you're, he's your friend. That's just what ends up happening in life. Yep. So then Tim waits for ten seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to your notes, Robert, for keeping track <laughs> of that. So yeah, so then Rachel McCann's walks out as Mary the first time we see her. Richard Curtis said he wanted to do this sort of big entrance so that people have already like fallen in love with her before they see her. Yeah. I, I forgot to say, actually, Donald Gleason, I think I might have said it in a previous episode, had Richard McAdams record uh, oh, a poem, thing, yeah. which I've forgotten, and the lyrics to a song, which happens to be Midair, which is the song that's playing as she walks out. And he had her record herself, I think, it was her singing or saying them, just so he would listen to her voice every day before he got to work, so that when he actually got to filming with her, like he fell in love with her voice, which I think is yeah. pretty sweet. 
And I love this piece of music as she comes out midair. Uh, who's it by? Uh, I should know. It's like track three on the soundtrack, I think. There's a thing where people talk about a method actors where you never hear about method actors who don't do it except to be a horrible person. Like they're yeah. an awful character. <laughs> this is kind of like the opposite. This is method acting for good. Mm. He got her. He got her voice. To... I remember my first experience with like any sort of proper actors when I started doing Unstable, and like the first thing that the guy who plays the lead role, uh, which to listeners and Niall who don't know, the lead role is a drug addict, and he said, "I just let you know I'm a bit method." And I was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> What he meant by that I is do. he just does like research around the part, but I was, I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. That is true, though, with method actors. You never hear like someone method acting into like charity or something like that. It's yeah. always usually like, yeah, I got an excuse to get really obese or be a complete prick to people. Uh-huh. And I know actually one of our regulars we have on Batman, Stephanie, she's directed a few things. And she says like, yeah, I've lost friends who were method actors because I directed them and they went method. Mm. And they just turned out like they were acting so horribly <laughs> that I just cut them out of my life afterwards because it was such a traumatic experience and stuff. So like, yeah, method acting, it's uh, not in vogue at the minute, I don't think. So this piece of music that plays Midair by Paul Buchanan was so important to Richard Curtis that he had it playing through his headphones while they recorded the scene to check that the scene suited the music that he wanted. Mm. Oh, nice. And Richard Curtis often writes whilst listening to music, so a lot of music sort of sneaks its way into his films. There is a real, like, when she comes out, too, it's even, like, the framing. There's there's almost literally a halo behind her head. Well, and she like, comes out from a yeah. curtain in the doorway, too, so it's like it's like a stage introduction. Mm. Yeah. And her yeah. tripping is just wonderful. <laughs> it's mm. such a nice touch. I kind of found that though that that was a bit tropey to me. As oh, well, it was, though, but I think it's fine. It's, it's the yeah, the, it's the oh, the clut, the the adorable klutz girl, where it's like well, yeah, it, she's it works because no one comments on it. Yeah, yeah, she just kind of but recovers, the, yeah, this, keeps walking. Isn't that exactly what Sharon Tate refers to herself as in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? It's like I'm the klutz. Yeah, yeah. Oh, again, I don't know how far back that goes, but I think even like in like bringing up baby and stuff. They had, like, oh, yeah, the beautiful woman, but, you know, she's so stunning. But to make her more relatable to people and seem like she's, like, an attainable kind of someone you can empathize with, make her a bit clumsy, because then that humanizes I don't think we have it as much now as we did a couple of decades ago. I think it's Mm. less present. And I think this is... Her tripping over is subtle enough that I think watching it, you don't really... It's not a thing you really think about. She just does, and it, it makes it feel... Like... When you said, you know, it's the way people connect with her, Richard Curtis did it right here. Like, people have done it wrong before, but I think that was all it needed. Her first visual introduction to be her tripping over. Yeah. But not, it's but also not kind over of... the top tripping over, dropping glasses on the floor. <laughs> you know? She doesn't yeah. fall, he doesn't have to catch her. It's just, yeah. it's subtle-ish. But it's just, it's almost kind of weird, like, because in some people's mind, in the minds, like, within her mindset, she meant, like, that's ruined my entrance. Like, I was trying to meet this guy, <laughs> like, and then I tripped over. This is the kind of thing that if it happened to Tim, he'd be like, "Should we do it?" Yeah, yeah. Well, he does. She He stumbles in her bedroom. That's one of the things he fixes. She doesn't. Mary's having to do this legit. Like she has to go in warts and all with this relationship. And so when she trips, yeah, that's that's it. It's just done. Whereas Tim, he gets to cheat the whole relationship. It's unfair. Really, the future is still done. I think. I think I'm on Mary's side now. That's it's sexist and it's unfair. She Mm -hmm. can't fix this, but he 
gets to pick up her shoes and move them out of the way later. It's not right. Can we talk about, as well, the fact that discussions that they have later on about Kate Moss that he then uses to talk to her, like when he sees her for the... When he goes back in time for the third time, so his, his third first meeting with Mary, and when he uses what she said to him as a way of getting hurt. Like, that's stalker! That's so stalkery. That's, uh, it's in there. I know you'll know it, Robert. That's that's Groundhog. Yeah. Right. I called that Phil Connery. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just like, well, you've, you Phil Connors are. You just essentially, you've, to be fair, you got the information straight from the person. Mm-hmm. But you've still, they don't, they don't remember the day <laughs> they told you all this stuff about them. So you're still kind of getting it under false pretenses, yeah. maybe. Or like, yeah, it's very, very. On much the other like, side of things, I don't know. Like what as you said with the whole Kate Moss thing that we were mentioning earlier. Is it kind of odd for a man of his age to express interest in Kate Moss? Well, no, there's a museum exhibit and there's lots of people there, so... Mm. Yeah, I guess they are of both genders, Clearly it's okay. They? Yeah. Yeah. And she was huge as well. I was, like, it's just because, I, I was, was just thinking mostly because of how, like, sexualized her shoots are. <laughs> that it just... it. I don't know. No, like, you said she was huge. And I'm like, no, she's really thin. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Apparently, and we'll say more when we get to the Kate Moss exhibits scene, they lost like one of their age ratings in the country because you've got top oh, yeah. Kate Moss in the background. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think that would have been possible at a lower age rating in the UK. Like, I think our, our I mean, obviously it's vaguely sexualized, but like our rules tend to be that you can have any nudity like pass at like a, a U, which is like what your G, if it's not sexualized. It's very rare that it happens, I think. Few things are passed at PG, but it tends to be around the twelve fifteen mark. Mm. And Again, I, I just want to verify been... to Niall, who doesn't know me, it's my obsession with age ratings, not my obsession with nudity. That's just. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, again, though, another lesser, you know, Happy Madison esque rom com that would have been a joke, probably of like her Mary saying like, "Oh, I look like Kate Moss," and then at the end. Kate Moss actually comes oh, out or something. Hun- yeah. like that would have been the, the easy the, the easy route to go. Or her saying, I look like a squirrel. No, Joanna would be played by Kate Moss. Just to make yeah, it weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, the whole squirrel gag, I feel like, yeah, they, they could have done something. I, I feel like the more we get in the show, the more I'll, I could end up hating on American comedy. I like some of it. <laughs> but... <laughs> Kate Moss and the Actually, squirrel. Like, I, I love restaurant. American comedy, so yeah. I'm just like I'm just saying. I, yeah, yeah, certain yeah. branches of it I don't like. Oh uh, so. yeah, and that branch of it mostly stars Adam Sandler. Yes, <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> that, Although at the same time, too, he can pull out the bag when he wants. Like, I still haven't seen Uncut Gems. I need to. Oh. So not only will you be frustrated with him as a character in it because he's a very annoying character. Like the movie's great, but it's built on the. Will the, I be frustrated know, in terms gonna... of what my opinion on Adam Sandler is by the end of Yeah, at the end you'll just be no, like, I think you could have like been doing him. this the whole time yeah. and you've just been making crap for years. I mean, it annoyed me when I read that like Netflix asked him to make like five films in two years. And it's like, there's no quality in these if you're making five in two years. No. I guess they know what they're doing though. They're just like, well, yeah, well there's, not there's an audience. <laughs> it's just the audience seems to be people who don't like films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched any of them. No, neither have I. I don't think last Adam Sandler comedy I watched. Whew, like the fifty Click. first dates or something like that. Yeah, fit for me. Uh, when did Funny People come out? Because I, in terms of American comedy, I quite like Judd Apatow. Well, that's so, that's a Judd Apatow movie more than an so, Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, he's in it, but he's not. Yeah, I, have I watched it all the way through? I don't know. I like Judd Apatow films. 
And I find it weird the number of like American comedy films I'll watch and then it'll be like, oh, it's produced by John Apato. Like, he just seems to be involved slightly. Funny People's <laughs> 2009. Okay, so 51st Dates was before that, right? Although, would you say then maybe, talking about like, oh, who's the American equivalent to Mark Commode? Would Judd Apatow be the American equivalent of Richard Curtis? Because <laughs> it's like, the amount maybe. of British comedies you watch and you don't think about it, and you're like, oh, who produced this or who wrote this? Like, oh, it's Richard Curtis. Like, again, like, he he had his finger in that pie, too. And I you just don't so. think about it. Judd Apatow it was like, yeah, oh, maybe Judd Apatow uh, is. I think Richard Curtis has a lot of likeness with John Hughes mm. as well. Mm. I mean, obviously, John Hughes' stuff with Teen, his romance, which is a bit different. But, like, in terms of him mostly fitting to a particular genre and then just happened to have been involved in, like, family films and stuff, like, ones you wouldn't expect him to be involved in, which has been a few Richard Curtis things. Like, like every now and then I'll be watching a Richard Curtis film and it's like, ah, this is a Richard Curtis film. Like, I wouldn't have suspected it. I haven't seen War Horse yet, but he wrote the screenplay for War Horse, so... Mm, I must prefer the... It's a low-budget quasi-remake Horse War. Uh, which is much more exciting just like more horses more war it was great so I if we got more stuff for this minute I scrolled down and I don't know no, no she haven't. trips and smiles she at the end. I, think it's, I um, think we're done yeah yeah so uh, where can our listeners find you on social media now uh, you can find me on if you want to listen to any more of my stuff I host Batman and <laughs> uh, which is you know doing the same thing you guys are doing but with Batman movies you can find social media for that uh, at on Twitter, just as Bat Minutes, and on Facebook at the Bat Minute Listeners Cave, which is surprisingly active, <laughs> interactive group with the with people listening to the show. And yeah, just pop on in there anytime you fancy. Yeah, should we set up a Facebook group for this or nah? Like, I'd say so. It's always it's always fun to just have people bring it. Even if no one ever goes in there, it's good to have the option, the possibility. Can we can we call it the cupboard or something like that? Uh, Robert, uh, what about you? Uh, Lemmingdrops.com or Robert E.G. Black on social media. For me, Twitter, Llama underscore Bottle Zero, Instagram, The Ginger Luke, Facebook, Luke Allen Film. Everything's at LukeAllen.co.uk. And this podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Men's About Time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back with our special Friday specials, as always, on Friday, unsurprisingly. And uh, I guess that's all. Pip pip. Hmm. <laughs> The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs> <laughs>